Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. I want you to tell us the first brand that you remember having an impact on you. Well, um, several quickly. Sorry. Don't squeeze the Charmin. Um, <laughs> Bounty is a quicker picker-upper. Uh, you can trust your car to the man who wears the star, yeah. the big white Texaco star. If you think it's butter, but it's not, it's chiffon. Obviously, I watched a lot Now you know why he's in marketing and advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Mark Pritchard, Chief Brand Officer for Procter & Gamble. And ladies and gentlemen, this one's a doozy. Mark took over my job at Procter & Gamble about 10 years ago, and this is the first time that Mark and I have been on stage talking about P&G past, present, and future. The discussion is useful, a bit emotional, and made even better because Mark and I were in front of a live audience at the University of Cincinnati, Lindner College of Business. Here's my conversation with Mark Pritchard. So welcome, everyone. This is a first in many ways. It's the first we've done the CMO podcast at a university live. So thanks for being here with us. We're here at the University of Cincinnati Lindner College of Business with amazing students. Give yourselves a round of applause. And it's the first time I've publicly interviewed the guy who succeeded me in my job at Procter & Gamble. So you have 20, almost 20 years of head of marketing, CMO-ship, chief brand officership here in front of you. So this is a first, and, um, and I'm so excited to do it. So Mark, thank you for, your, for lots of things, especially for being with me for this hour, but we'll get into that later. The University of Cincinnati has always been a major feeder for Procter & Gamble, and it still is today, I believe, in all functions. So it's great to be here with future P&Gers. So, Mark, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Well, first, Jim, thank you for having me here. This is uh, an amazing honor, and I have just such deep respect and admiration for you and always have. You know, Sir Isaac Newton said, if I can see further, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. And I'm standing on your shoulders. I'm blushing. Well, and, and for good reason. You know, you were a real pioneer. You pioneered digital media where we had a... In fact, internships or an exchange with Google, 
We, you pioneered purpose-driven marketing. You pioneered the focus on elevating our creativity at Cannes. Um, you, you were just a, a real leader. And so even changing the name is standing on your shoulders because you are a giant in the industry. So I thank you for, for, uh, for having me here so I could share a few things. Thank you, Mark. Give Jim a round of applause. This guy's amazing. <laughs> I am for all the listeners, genuinely blushing and starting to sweat a little bit. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. So you went to IU, Indiana University, mm -hmm. a few years ago. What was your favorite course? My favorite course was psychology. I was just fascinated by the way the human mind worked. And, but my other favorite course was marriage and family interaction because my wife was in the same class. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, well, I don't know if we ever met each other, but but it was must have been destiny. Must have been a good course. Yeah, it was a great course. <laughs> I I got an A plus. She passed. <laughs> okay, we'll go there later. First PNG job and location. First PNG job was as a cost analyst in what was called the paper division at the time, which was uh, Charmin, Bounty, Puffs, and Pampers and Loves, which were all made of paper. And I uh, was at Winton Hill Technical Center here in Cincinnati. And four months later, was transferred to the Mahoopany, Pennsylvania plant um, up in northeast Pennsylvania. I was 22 years old, living in Mahoopany, Pennsylvania. It was some hard times. So for the students out here and our listeners who are students, you can start as a cost analyst in paper and one day become the chief brand officer of the most significant marketing company in the world. There so you there go. you go. There Inspiration. You go. So... Tell us, this is personal now, the P&G brand you use the most. I use oh, so many brands, but the one that comes to mind most quickly is uh, SK2, which is Patera Essence, which is a high-end skincare product, and Olay Regenerist. That's um, why it looks so great. Because of, you know, that's why I have this youthful glow. <laughs> you He's on brand. <laughs> Yeah. Now a new one. I was going to say Charmin, but uh, I guess, well, I use Charmin, but we wouldn't <laughs> want to go there. And then um, I'm using another one called See Me, oh, which yeah. is a new product made for the uh, '80s. Um, I guess they call the '80s girls, right? '80s girls are called. That's right. Tiffany is working on that. But I'm I was an '80s boy, so I'm still using that. But it's a it's a good product. It's in a DTC startup. You too can work on a DTC, direct to consumer startup brand. How about Crest? Crest, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Crest, Oral-B, uh, Oral-B uh, Power Toothbrush, Bounty, Charmin, Puffs, um, uh, Pantene, Head & Shoulders, Tide. Gillette. Gillette. You're getting signals from the audience. Okay. Gillette. Oh, Gillette. Okay, got all it. All right. Yeah. So your favorite P&G brand campaign of all time? Two. One is uh, Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl, because I ran the Cover Girl business for 10 years. And the second is the P&G campaign for the, Olymp the Olympics, Proud Sponsor of Moms. My yeah. two absolute favorite. I'd be up there with me too. Yep. So biggest change in your role in the past 10 years? Oh my gosh. So uh, when you came in after me to now, biggest change? Well, the biggest change has to be the, the exponential explosion of digital technology and digital media. You know, back, back even when, when, when you and I were working together, it was, it was just on the, on the cusp. You know, it was a big deal when you sent people to Google to learn a little bit about search. And uh, I went to, uh, after I started, I went to, to Silicon Valley, met Mark Zuckerberg, who was, I think, 26 at the time, sitting at the end of the table, didn't say much. Um, they had 100 million users, 2.7 billion now. 
So it's a massive change in terms of how we build brands. And therefore, it's from mass marketing to mass one-to-one is essentially what we're doing. And that, that has completely changed the game. Best day ever at P&G. Best day ever was, there, so there were a lot of best days, I have to say. So that, that's for sure. After 37 years, you have a lot of good ones. But one that really pokes, uh, pokes out for me was when we saw the first Proud Sponsor of Moms campaign. It was, it was actually, we got the uh, Olympic sponsorship 108 days prior to the Olympics when they started. So we had very little time. And uh, the Wyden and Kennedy folks came to me and said, you know, we're going to give you Wyden seven Kennedy's tips. Wyden Kennedy is an agency, Sorry, an creative agency. agency for those listeners who don't know, a very, very respected one. A great agency yeah. who had done a lot of work for Nike. And, they, and uh, they, they said, listen, there's a few things you need to know. There's seven tips we have. I only remember one. He said, the Olympics are a world-class event with world-class athletes, and it requires world-class marketing. You will be judged. So I said, great, show us what you got. They came back. They showed us uh, an idea, which was uh, everybody else looks through the Olympics through the eyes of athletes. We look at the Olympics at P&G through the eyes of mom. And, uh, and they showed us this, this spot was it's a beautiful to insight. their moms, they will always be kids. I got tingles and tears looking at that one, and I knew we had a winner, and it's been a, it's been a great winner ever since. Just an aside, there's a lot of buzz in the industry about whether or not we need agencies. Why can't clients do all this work themselves? Why do you need an ad agency, a creative agency? And, and Mark just elaborated on why agencies are still important, because they bring you ideas that you might not think about. Absolutely. And that's their professionals at it. If you ever try writing an ad someday and you realize how hard it was, one of the things that, that we did when we uh, grew up is we took agency internships. So you went and worked at an agency for 30 days. You really realize how much you need an agency after you do that. And they do. They bring brilliant work that you will never think about. So, Mark, you got. I'm going to go off in the Olympic thing here for yeah. a minute. You got that meeting three months or so before. You had that meeting three months or so before the Olympics started, mm-hmm. and you said yes, and you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably didn't have any projections on the ROI of that, or you know. So, how did you have the courage to do that? You know, it's so in some ways it's trusting your gut that this is the right thing to do. You know, and I think you just nailed it. It is. It was. It's. You know, what in, in business and in, in life, you really have to trust your gut. You have to. You have to have the courage of your convictions. You know, I knew the idea um, of doing the Olympics was a good idea for P&G because their purpose is to make the world better through sport. Our purpose is to touch and improve the lives of the world's consumers. It just made sense. It's a high-quality event, a high-quality activity. And when they showed me that work, I thought, we've never advertised P&G, but this is the right thing to do. And it literally, I tell you, tingles. That, is the, that was the, the bodily uh, manifestation of this is a great idea. If you tingle, you know you got something. And so we went for it. So now what, 10 years later, 8 years, Ten later, years later? How do you feel about it? I feel great. It's been, it's been an You're enormous, gonna see more of it the next enormous Olympics? success. You'll see, see it in Tokyo. Exactly. It's going to be great. We've we got some, other, some big ideas coming. Can you share anything here on the CMO podcast in advance? <laughs> uh, nothing yet, but just stay tuned because you're going to see, you're just going to see a lot of new type of creative content because one of the things that we're doing, which, which I'm sure we'll talk about is we're, we're really blending the ad world with other worlds, with the world of film, music, comedy, entertainment, sports, 
it's a new way of bringing your brands to life. And we're really going to do a lot more of that for the Olympics. There's a new series PNG is doing on Nat Geo, if you haven't heard about it. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks really cool. It's magnificent. And this is another, it's a great example. Nat Geo tells great stories. Global Citizen is, anybody heard of Global Citizen? It's an it's a, it's amazing organization that is focused on activating global citizens. All of you are global citizens. And they're, they're really focused on eradicating extreme poverty from the world by 2030. And all the causes of extreme poverty, like, believe it or not, climate change, lack of water, plastics and oceans that actually take people away from their, from their livelihoods, gender equality, racial equality, criminalization of poverty. Our, our brands, Tide, uh, Always, uh, Charmin, Head and Shoulders, and our P&G brands are doing activities to improve the world in each of those areas. Global Citizen is partnering with us to make that happen. And so what we decided to do is shine the light on others doing those activities through this Nat, Nat Geo storytelling, and our brands get naturally integrated where it makes sense. It's a great way of storytelling and a great way for people to connect with our brands. So take a look at it. Every Thursday night, 8 o'clock, Nat Geo channel. Stay tuned. So Mark, you're a glass half full kind of guy. Is there a worst day you've had at PNG? Yeah, you know, I've had some 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 tough business days that have been that have been hard. Um, but you know, those are actually harder to dredge up. The worst day was the day we lost Sharon Cunliffe, mm. who was uh, one of our um, uh, partners, thirty years, who worked worked yeah. for you for many years, and I worked for me. Sharon was a thirty year veteran who who died um, of a heart attack at PNG, and that was an awful day. And I say that. Because people are really what matters most. Whatever company you'll join, it'll be the people that you'll remember the most. And so losing a colleague was a tough day, uh, probably the worst day ever. But, um, but it also was a lesson for whatever company you choose to go with, go with the people. That's why we got some amazing people right here who we will be friends forever. You and I, yeah. 12 years later, Friends forever. That's um, a lot of the special sauce of PNG, which we'll talk about later. But I have to say, Sharon Cunliffe, I went to her uh, service when she passed away. And um, I just remember saying to my wife as I left that, you know, someday when we leave this world, I would love for people to be saying the kinds of things mm -hmm. they were saying at her service. Mm -hmm. Just a remarkable human being who always brought humor and wit and love and herself to work. She brought herself to work. Didn't hold anything back. So um, great campaigns yeah. too. Yeah, oh, just yeah, just amazing. Terrific, terrific. Yeah. Okay, is there a question you want to ask me, Mark? I'm not sure I'll answer it, but anything mm. you want to ask me during this podcast? Mm, okay, that could be interesting. <laughs> There's two questions I'm interested in. Okay. Go ahead. We'll see if we answer them. Okay. <laughs> One is, what are you proudest of as you look back at essentially your legacy at PNG? Um, the second is. Um, what do you like the most about what you're doing now? Huh. I think what I'm most proud of in terms of the legacy in P&G is what we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's soft, but it's the relationships. Mm -hmm. It's the people. It's the feelings. It's, um, I mean, in my life after P&G, I'm still working with ex-P&G people. So um, it's, um, I don't know, it's a shared experience. You know, you're here as students in a special program, meeting people. This is what you'll carry with you. 
So the fact that we're having the kind of conversation we're having today, that there's people in this room like Kathy Caldemeyer and others, says everything about why I stayed at PNG. I thought I'd stay at PNG for 18 months to two years. My wife's a Californian. I'm from the East Coast. Cincinnati, you know, here's this weird company. Uh, I'll come and get my brand manager stripe and leave. And I was really compelled because of the people. Yeah. And I think we're feeling that in the room today. Yeah, that's exactly that. So that's, that's, that's great. And then what I love about my work today is I can work 100% of my time with freedom on what I'm passionate about. And I mean, I tried to do that at PNG, but I know your job. You have other things yeah, <laughs> pulling at you. Got a couple of emails. But I, you know, I like to help people find their purpose and bring it to life. And I can do that all the time now. Yep. And I love that freedom. That's awesome. That's great. So that's a great answer. Back to you. I'm going to use that answer someday. (laughs) So I want to ask Mark, there are something like 15 million jobs in the marketing branding area in this country alone. It's a lot of people in a lot of jobs. A lot of people would say you have the best job of those 15 million. So I want to ask you, is it? And if it is, why? If it isn't, why not? I th- I think it is the best job. I I, I you know can't imagine a, a better job than this one because I, I get to work on sixty five of the most amazing brands, many of which I mentioned earlier. I get to work on a, work in a company and privileged to be in a company that focuses on making the lives of people better every day. Um, five billion people is how many people we touch, uh, and and how with has the the values of of that we have i was just talking with rob about uh, about john smale and and the values of of integrity and teamwork and ownership and leadership and um and trust and and that is so you know foundational to how we operate the people that we work with and i just i just came back went to china three weeks ago met with that team went with went to latin america two weeks ago met with that group you know, it's just meeting with 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 people in different parts of the world and seeing the work that they're doing and engaging with them and consulting with them. That that's just amazing. Then, the ability to not only work on today but work on tomorrow. That part of this job, what makes this job so great, is is I've got to constantly be with my team, looking over the horizon and around the corner to say what's coming. So just as you did when you said digital's coming. And then mobile's coming, and then YouTube's coming, and then Facebook's coming, and then Twitter's coming, and then now virtual reality is coming, and augmented reality is coming, and all these, you know, data and analytics and technology and all that stuff, you know, creative content partnerships, all those things you have access to. And and that's what makes this job so amazing. And uh, and it's and it's and it's fun. You know, big part of my job is serving other people, and I love doing that. I love being out there and and really focusing on what do they need to be successful. That's why I love my, my trips. I say, put me to work. Don't, don't, don't present to me. Don't just put me to work. Take advantage of the 37 years of experience I've got. Plus, I usually have somebody else like Pete Carter with me who's got another 37 years. So, so take advantage of that. And that's good. And then I come back and I see the work that they've done. And it's just amazing. So hard to top. Is there anything? It is a wonderful job. I know that. And, uh, and, you're, and you're doing a great job with it, which we'll get into in a minute. Is there anything that drives you crazy about it? Email. <laughs> Can Google help you with that? Um, I don't know. Well, email's got Gmail, so I don't think so. Um, <laughs> no, it's just email. It's just a, 
it's just a lot. So there's, that hasn't that, changed. You know, that has Drive not changed. No, it drives you crazy, right? And you know, it's and, and it's not like it's not like you can get an email and not respond to it because other people need to get their jobs done. So, um, so that that's it. It's just that that's the kind of stuff that, as you say, yeah. you know, doesn't do it. But that that's about it. Rest of it, it's all manageable. Yeah, we've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in, and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So you've had a remarkable tenure as chief brand officer. You're going 10 years plus. Mm -hmm. And I just want for our listeners to say a few facts. Mark's been in this job about two and a half times longer than the average tenure for a global marketing officer. The stock has grown about $50 since when he came in. He's gone through a proxy battle with an activist investor. He's worked for three CEOs. What's your advice for others who go through these crazy times? And your, what's your advice for the longevity, the success, the energy, staying on top of your game? What would your be advice to others who would love to emulate your longevity and your results? I made a decision early on to pretty much fire myself every 18 months and then rehire myself so I could get a fresh look because I, I was looking at Moore's law, which is that computing power doubles every 18 months and realized that with that, I better be thinking about everything fresh in the next, for in the next 18 months. And so that helped keep what I did fresh. The, the other thing is I was really focused on serving other people, making sure that my job was about making other people successful, helping them in whatever I possibly could do to be able to help them and, and enable them to be, to, be, to, be, um, to be good. So going and consulting on, a, on an advertising campaign or bringing them access to, to new technologies or new creative partnerships, um, creating a vision for the future, um, that kind of thing. And which leads me to the other piece. I, I tell people what we need to do is we need to win today and we need to invent tomorrow. So it was focusing always on inventing tomorrow. What's coming next? Because I can't in this role, as you well know, you can't, you can't do the job of the, of the Pantene brand manager or the LA brand manager because that's their job. You can consult with them. You can help them. You can enable them. You can give them advice. You can change policies that might free them up. But what you can do is you can look across the company and across the outside of the industry and see what's coming and what's changing and then be able to make a difference there. And so, because that's not something that you can do when you got your head down working on the business. So that was probably the, the, biggest, the biggest things for me. Every leader has a big remit to work on the culture, right? Mm -hmm. How people work, what's valued, so on and so forth. And PNG seems to have embraced agility experimentation, you know, dealing with fear of failure and becoming a much more nimble experimental company. I know that's hard in that culture. So, and many people who work in large organizations, that's a struggle. 
what could we learn from what you've done at P&G to sort of open up everyone's creativity, bring them, bring their, their whole selves to work, be okay with productive failure. So what are some of the things you've learned as a leader that others could benefit from? One of the biggest things we did was a few years ago, we went to Silicon Valley as a leadership team. And Kathy Fish, who's the R&D and innovation, uh, chief R&D and innovation officer, and I were working on something called lean innovation. So we were studying the startup world because we knew that we needed to move on a faster pace. So we looked at the startup world, looked at Eric Ries, uh, his, his book, Steve Blanks, and identified this approach for how to innovate, which is innovate like a startup. Get two founders, few people, you know, two pizza teams. A little team, bit of cash. A little bit of cash. Much more. What's the problem you're trying to solve? And then iterate and experiment and recognize you are going to fail hundreds of times before you actually get the, the right answer. And there often is no right answer. That we brought that back and we actually hired another company called Bionic to help implement that. Who They'd implemented it at several companies and implemented it. We call it GrowthWorks. That has really been transformational. We now have 180 startups that are working. So, you know, that's that's direct. They're expecting that what? 150 of those probably won't work out. Uh, probably not. You know, they'll probably, the, the, the evidence is that half of them get to the next stage, another half get to the following stage after that. And we'll keep... We'll keep working them. But, but that created a new culture for learning how to fail and pivot uh, as opposed to fail and stop. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also uh, made it clear that there is a separation of jobs. One job to be done is to run the big $65 billion machine that touches 5 billion people on the planet every day with household and personal care products that you need perfection mm-hmm. because perfection in cost and in safety and quality has to be there. So you need to take a few risks there. That's big bucks. This other system, the GrowthWorks Lean Innovation System, is like a little little garden. You can, you can keep working that. So you, you need to fail in order to be able to move forward. And that's now pervading everything we do. And we're learning how to be able to, 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 to apply that to marketing campaigns and to other types of things. So, for example, many of the creative campaigns that we come up with, you know, now there's little risk because what you do is you create a great creative campaign. And it might seem really wild. Let's put it online and see if people react to it. If, if nobody reacts to it on YouTube, it's not a good idea. But, but at least you didn't spend $20 million putting it on the Super Bowl. So if, it, if they react to it, you got a viral success like the way Like a Girl was. We put Like a Girl online. It was a three and a half minute uh, film. It's an always campaign. It's an always campaign, always Like a Girl. And, um, and it gained about 50 million users. And we said, this is a really good idea. So let's put it on the Super Bowl. So we decided to cut it down to a minute, which was risky. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think, but we knew it was a good idea. Looked at it, tingles. Tears, whole thing, put it on the Super Bowl. 30 million views later, it's literally changed the meaning of Like a Girl. 19% of people thought it was a positive expression before we put it on. Now 76% of people think Like a Girl is a positive expression. That completely changed that. But that was based on these, these principles of learning, pivoting, and moving. So when I was at P&G, it was tough to fail, Right. A failure can knock off your career. So how did you deal with that, making people okay with failure? 
we just have to, what we do now is we actually make it clear that it's necessary to succeed. If you go through your entire career without any failure, you'll never learn how to recover from a failure. Mm -hmm. And it was also the word pivot. Yeah. That failure is not catastrophic. Failure is just an opportunity to learn and pivot, mm -hmm. which is what, what they do in the digital world, what they do in the startup world. And so that has helped people substantially and recognize that there are certain things that you don't want to fail on. Right. <laughs> you don't want to spend $100 million and fail. That would be a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you can spend $10,000 and fail mm -hmm. and learn. Every leader who's been in our job at PNG, the head brand person, has brought a specialness. And you were very kind at the beginning of this podcast to talk about my specialness. When I started, Bob Goldstein was the head of marketing, and his specialness was his standard setting and his, in some ways, his toughness, mm -hmm. his tough love. What's your specialness? Well, that's, it's, that's a weird question. I know it is. That's all right. <laughs> that's why I'm asking. That's right. I do I remember, by the way, Bob Goldstein was great. Bob Goldstein would make us every six months put together all of our advertising. It was called a reel of advertising, the Goldstein reel. That's because it literally was a reel, a film that you had to do. <laughs> and then you showed it to Bob and Bob would basically give you coaching on how you can make it better yeah. um, every six months. So that was, that was one thing. I, I mentioned your, your specialness. I, I, I think you know, the things that, that I hope I've brought to the party have been to move us into the digital world mm -hmm. um, from uh, building on, on, on your, your beginning and, and mastering uh, digital technology and really transforming from mass marketing with a lot of waste to mass reach and mass marketing with great precision. And that's done through data and digital technology. It's you know probably surprising to know that we've got uh, a database of consumers of over a billion people. So you know that's that's a lot of that's a lot of consumers and it's growing really rapidly and that allows us to be able to analyze and precisely connect with people. We're reinventing advertising from, you know, still have core campaigns, but now merging the ad world with the film world and comedy world and, you know, things like, I don't know if you saw Sunday Night Football and It's a Tide ad, the next generation of It's a Tide ad. I mean, that's just, that's, you know, some transformational creativity. And I really think that's great. Agency partnerships have changed pretty substantially and it's still honoring the core agency partnership, but then providing the freedom to move in and out with, with other agencies. I can remember when you, you were there, you I remember you told me this once, you said, there's this great small agency called Strawberry Frog. You got to try them. And that was the beginning of now what we call the fixed and flow model, where we have fixed partnerships, but then we flow agencies in and out. Mm -hmm. And then I think, think the part that I, that I really am excited about is citizenship, is moving, building from from the foundation of, of purpose to being a force for good and a force for growth, which is where our brands are now good citizens. They do things like stand up for gender equality, for racial equality, for environmental sustainability, doing the right thing, that kind of thing, and, and building that into how we do marketing and how we build those businesses. So those are, those are some things that, I, that I'm pretty, and I'm still working on them. So, so don't, don't uh, you know, don't think it's, it's over yet. Still got a lot to do. No, I think you've nailed it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about your specialness at the end, but okay. I think you're, <laughs> you've pretty much nailed it. It's good self-awareness. So um, 
we've been talking about leadership so far, and I want to flip a little bit there interrelated into this branding topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, P&G always from John Smale's time before that has been a pioneer in branding and marketing. As you said, looking around the corner, what's next? So I'd like you to give us, you have a rare view of that. So what do you think is what's next in terms of branding and marketing for P&G and for the industry? Yeah. What should we be thinking about in the next five to 10 years around the corner? Yeah. Well, we're still at the very early stages of one-to-one -one marketing on a mass scale, uh, driven by data and technology. I, I think that that is is you know, and it almost it's, it's amazing when you look at how long how much has changed, but how much how far it still has to go, because there's still by the time all of our companies have enough data to be able to connect with people on a one-to-one -one basis, then 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 that will then change how we engage with our media providers, how, what roles agencies play with that, how much work we actually do ourselves versus, versus other agencies. So that transformation is just going to continue to go exponentially. The creative transformation, I think, is going to be even more profound because, you know, seven out of 10 people say that ads are annoying. Seven out of 10 Gen Z and millennials don't watch TV and don't watch ads the way we watch them. So Lots of smiles in the audience. I can literally imagine a world without ads as we know them, which is why we're so focused on this new creative approach where we bring uh, different ways to be able to engage with your brand so you can actually get behind the brand. Nine out of 10 people feel better about a brand if they, if they focus on an environmental cause or a social cause, and they want to know who's behind the brand. So a lot of this Nat Geo special that you'll see is it's P&G employees because people want to know who is behind um, uh, head and shoulders and, and always and so forth. So, but those are two really profound changes and that'll, that'll change then the, the roles, each of your roles as you, as you come and the skills that you'll need. You'll need a blend, a real blend of creativity, so right brain and a blend of of analytics and data. So you'll need to make sure that you can connect those two and, and to be able to work on a fast cycle basis to make things happen and, and be, a, be a great leader at the same time. So it's a, it's a real ambidexterity that's going to be required. Um, so those are, those are the ones that really punch out for me in terms of what's going to change. And uh, it's, it's going to be very, very exciting. I mean, I mean, I think it's exciting now, but I think it's just begun. So one area that's changed is, is this idea of purpose, mm -hmm. right? It was kind of a fringe idea maybe 20, 25 years ago. It's now mainstream. Yeah. And you call it brands as a force for good, which I love that metaphor mm -hmm. and that language. So if that is now how everyone is doing business, we've had the recent letter signed by the Business Roundtable about the role of a corporation. How do you differentiate on that now if it's how everyone is trying to behave? Yeah. How can one company or brand differentiate on force for good or purpose? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good it's a great question because purpose as a if if you're not careful with purpose, it can become a very broad uh topic that that doesn't have as much meaning as it needs to. Each brand and company has to really focus on what makes it special and then what can it do uniquely as a force for good and then translate it into a force for growth. And the reason why we say force for good and force for growth, if you're a force for good and you're not a force for growth, you're a, um, a philanthropy mm -hmm. and a nonprofit. We're in the profit business. If you're a force for growth and not a force for good, you're a mercenary. 
So people are looking for both. You have to do both. And it's far more sustainable when you can do both. But back to the point around what you need to do is you need, so always who focuses on, on, on protection can uniquely focus on how it can do something like end period poverty. End period poverty is a new campaign that they have. 20%, up to 20% of the young women in the United States skip school during their period because they can't afford adequate feminine protection. That's, that, that seems like a third world problem. No, it's a first world problem. So they're ending period poverty with donating pads, and they're going to do it in 40 countries. That makes sense for always to do that. Um, SK2 is about changing the destiny of your skin and about women taking control of their lives to change the destiny of their lives. So not being ruled by what they need to do when they're a certain age. They can change their own, their own destiny. Ariel and Tide, which are some of our laundry brands, have done this, this campaign called Share the Load, which basically has men and sons doing laundry because they can share the load. That's a gender equality message. So all these things are, are important to uniquely find what makes your brand or your company special and then differentiate. And then what will really differentiate is whether you're really doing it and, and going all the way. Always right now is also looking at their entire supply chain. They're making sure that they're giving a supply chain that is, that is sound on every level, on equality, on sustainability. And that's what will be required. So you can't just say, Back 20, 25 years ago, you can say, yeah, I'm purpose-driven. Yeah, it was more yeah. of a campaign it idea. It was a campaign yeah. idea. Mm -mm. Now, substance. And the, 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 the substantive brands will be the ones that win. And that, in my view, gives us a competitive advantage because we touch 5 billion people because we have these, these 182-year-old values around integrity, and we have substance. And uh, we make sure that we deliver. So it's about behavior over mm -hmm. time, consistent behavior. Yep. So we have a lot of students in the room, a lot of student listeners. So Mark, it would be really cool if you could tell them what makes up a great brand person today. So for P&G, a great brand leader, what do they do? What are the characteristics? What are they great at? And then maybe the back end of that question, what would you like them to be greater at? Uh -huh. okay. What's the gap? Yep. First thing that pops in my mind is absolute unbridled passion for your brand. Love your brand. You are the founder of your brand, and that's the way you need to behave. Behave as your brand entrepreneur. Therefore, you're going to do everything you can in your power to make sure that this brand succeeds. Then what you need is you need the skills. You need the skills of envisioning because you need to see where you want to take that brand. You need the skills of defining who, most importantly, who your consumer is that you're, that you're um, serving and understanding everything you can about what they need and want. Uh, you need to define what your brand stands for, and that requires a level of creativity. And then you need to bring that to life at the um, at the what we call the five moments of truth, or which is the product, the package, the retail execution, the communication, and the value. and And that requires a tremendous amount of leadership, because most of the work that we do is not necessarily work we do. We have to engage others to be able to make that happen. You will need to get your hands on the keyboard more, so to speak. You won't be able to delegate a lot of the work to the agencies as much as you did before. And that's largely because you have now more data available and the ability to do analytics. So you'll need to be able to, 
to, to do some more of that work beyond what you had done before. Um, you, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, an expert data scientists, but you're probably going to have to understand what an algorithm is and how it works. And most importantly, what you're trying to accomplish, um, with it. Uh, if you, if there was one thing we could do more, I, I would like to see more creativity. Mm. I'd like to see more creative bravery. Um, you know, building brands is, is there's, there, there's certainly some, some math associated with it, <laughs> but, but what really makes brands grow is when you come up with a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why SK2 is growing at 30% a year for the last three years is because its creativity has been phenomenal. Why Olay turned around was this face anything campaign that went from basically zero to double digits. Why Secret, which has been a, a real sleepy brand, came out with all strength, no sweat. And when they saw that the women's soccer team had, had this battle going on around, around equal pay, they said, we need to do something about that. And a week later, they basically put an ad in the paper that said, we're going to give $529,000, um, which is basically money to be able to close the gap. That was their business started growing because it was a great idea. And so that's, that's what differentiates the best brand builders from the average brand builders or those that have the courage and the bravery to, come, to really put a big idea out there and make it happen. How do you elicit more creative bravery from your organization? What would your advice be for the students? Well, if what, they walk in and start in a brand team, how to elicit more creative bravery? Yeah, you know, the, the one thing is, is learn a lot. Go see what others are doing. That's it's the reason why we go to Cannes every year, which you, again, were a pioneer of bringing over. Cannes can is the Festival of Creativity, which is, you think about the Cannes Film Festival, they have one for advertising, which has now been brought into all sorts of creativity. And, and Jim was, was um, uh, the leader in bringing P&G, one of the first clients, if not the first client, to be there. And the reason why that was such a good idea is because it exposed you to the best creativity in the world. When you're exposed to the best creativity in the world, you want to make great creativity. That he always it makes you restless, right? sat yeah. there and watched another uh, brand win a bunch of awards and said, we're going to be back here next year. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, it inspires you to, to do great work. So you can go out and do that constantly mm-hmm. and then try something. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you have to even, in many cases, you don't have to do an agency. The secret team is, is its own creative agency right now. They're doing their own ads. Mm-hmm. They shot their last ad in Cincinnati. Uh, the first scene was in a boardroom, RPNG boardroom. The uh, associate uh, brand director was the producer. The brand manager was the creative director. And um, the general manager wrote the song. <laughs> and, and they come a long way. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they produced it in, you know, basically, I think a tenth of the time, a tenth of the cost and uh, a fifth of the time. So you can do it. You can do these things. And it costs them very little money. One thing I think that has been Mark's specialness about this role is about the position he and the company have taken on issues like gender equality, racism, trust and transparency in media. I mean, he's been at the forefront of tackling a lot of issues in our society and in our industry. And I want you to speak about that a bit, Mark. I know you do it as a representative of the company, but it's also personal for you. What's your advice to others on what issues to take a stand on? Good Lord, we have many. And how do you get started? Because I'm very proud every year, Ken, for what you represent for the company 
in terms of the, the points of view you take. And I know how hard that is mm. and how hard that is in a large organization. So tell us a little bit of that story. Well, the, you know, the gender equality one came as a company, we just, we made a decision that when it came to things uh, around citizenship, we we're going to focus on a few areas. Gender equality was one we thought was important. Diversity and inclusion, which led to racial equality, environmental sustainability, and community impact. Those were all the areas that we were going to focus on. When it came to gender equality, uh, what occurred to me was that we're the world's largest advertiser. And advertising, uh, the images and portrayals of people in advertising affect how people view the world and view other people. I mean, advertising embeds memories into your minds that then your mind categorizes things in order to create bias. And bias is a human condition. It's not a, it's not a negative or a positive thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing. Everybody has bias because you can't survive without it because you make too many decisions a day. So you have to instantly make them. And so that forms bias. So what had occurred to, to me and to, to all of us is that reaching 5 billion people on the planet every day, we better make sure that our advertising accurately and realistically portrays everybody. First started with women and men, then we went to race and ethnicity, sexual gender identity, ability. We're now looking at religion, age. You've you got to look at every. It's human beings. Mm -hmm. And, and by, by, having, by having an accurate and realistic portrayal, what that will do is then have people start to see other people as other people, not as some kind of a stereotyped or even objectified. Within that, or on top of that, we take a stand every once in a while, and we decide that Time to take a stand. Now, it turns out, you know, things like Like a Girl, they did a study that said it's outrageous that young women have this massive drop in confidence when they're, when they're uh, at 13 years old. What, you know, one is because of, of the hormonal changes that are happening, but two is the insidious phrases like you do, you do that like a girl. That's, a, that's an insult. Um, we decided to, for the 10th anniversary of My Black is Beautiful, which is a brand that we have, we were going to go see... What, what should we talk about? And what we recognized is that there's this talk that black parents have with their children every day, which is the prejudice and, and the bias that they're going to face, which has been happening forever. We decided to shine a light on that. We took a lot of heat for that, by the way, too, mm -hmm. but we kept going. Gillette, after the Me Too movement, after a lot of the changes, Gillette decided to take a hard look at its own advertising and take a stand on what is the best a man can be? What's the new definition of the best a man can be? Again, we took some heat for that, but we were steadfast in that because it was the right thing to do. So that's how we make decisions largely based on listening, talking, understanding what the cultural context is, and then jumping out there and making that happen. For me, it's, it's personal because, um, you know, 20 years ago, I was at a, at a spiritual retreat with my my wife Betsy and our three young uh, daughters and the the uh, spiritual leader came up to me and said, I, I hope you know the good you can do because business will someday be the greatest force for good in the future. And he said, not, not religion, not government, it's a business. So if you choose to do so, you can do a lot of good. And that was kind of this blinding moment of clarity for me. We had just done Easy Breezy Beautiful Cover Girl, mm. spoke to people who were too young, too thin, too white, and we changed brought Queen Latifah in, brought much more diversity and completely transformed what was the standard of beauty. 
um, that it wasn't this objectified and stereotyped look. And that was the first real instance of thinking what we do matters. And so that's why we've chosen to do what we're doing. And we're going to keep going. I mean, we're just, just scratching the surface. And you'd be surprised how little we spend on that kind of work because it has an outsized mm -hmm. impact because it's amplified by, by others because they recognize it's, 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 it's the right thing. And I want to talk about that. How do you want to be remembered for those you've worked with? We talked about Sharon Cunliffe and how she was remembered after she left us. Uh, how do you want to be remembered when you step down from this role? I wake up every day and ask for the strength to be useful. That's, that's my purpose in life, be useful to others. And whenever, whenever I've got out of whack um, over my career and my life, it's when I'm not thinking about others. It's when I'm thinking about me. So when I start focusing on being useful to others, today I wanted to be useful to this audience, then that makes a difference. And that's how I hope people remember me. If that's, if that's it, then it'll have been a good life. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So we're going to turn to the audience for a couple questions, and I have one last one before we break up today. Please say your name and uh, what you're studying at the university. My name is Jonathan Buck. I'm a marketing and business analytics double major. And my question is, you mentioned earlier about how we all stand on the shoulders of giants. So I was wondering if you could speak to a couple of the people who have been mentors in your life and throughout your decorated career. Well, in addition to Jim, uh, the other one who I would call out would be Susan Arnold, um, who was, uh, was my boss for several years and who was, was uh, an extraordinary leader and, um, and passionate leader and brilliant marketer and, and just pushed me uh, on, every, on every front and, uh, and I think made a big difference. The other one um, is John Pepper, who is, um, who is you know, still an extraordinary leader, still constantly giving me input, advice, support. I love it. Um, I look at John Smale. I didn't have as much, um, as much uh, interaction with John, but, but just a few moments that I was able to engage with John Smale. I, got, I just got a lot out of, out of his, his integrity and his leadership. So um, it's, uh, and you know, I, I also uh, have people outside of the, uh, of, of the company. Marina Marr is um, a person who, who runs a, a major PR firm who's been a great advi uh, advisor and mentor to me over the years. So, um, so plenty of people, I, it's, it's almost countless how many people I, I, I would look at. And I encourage you all to be thinking of the same things and recognize that many of your peers are, are exactly that. I look at my, my friends down here um, who we spend a lot of time with who make a huge difference in my life every day. Hi, my name is Erin Kelly and I'm pursuing a degree in psychology and marketing. Um, you recently cut quite a bit of spending um, and even made a statement about changing brands' relationships with agencies. And I know you even talked about taking more work in-house. 
and that's a big decision. So I was just wondering what led up to that decision? How did you make that choice? And uh, any other insights you could give us on such a giant move? Well, the, the big move that came from, uh, there was a lot of digital media spending that we were, that we were um, increasing pretty substantially and our business results were coming through. So I asked our, our, our media provider partners for data to help us determine what were we getting? And, and unfortunately, at the time, they couldn't produce it because they hadn't really built their systems in such a way that would be media providers. I mean, much, much of the monetization of, of the Googles and Facebooks and Twitters of the world came from us working with them on creating an advertising model. It, they didn't build it that way from the start. So we needed to get that data. Once we got that data, I recognized, we recognized that hmm, there's, a, there's a lot of waste in there. So we needed to make some 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 pretty significant changes. Now that worked with us because then we worked more closely with those providers to allow us to be able to get better performance, and that's helping us now restore a lot of a lot of that spending. The agency world was similar, uh, a similar situation where we were spending just way too much money to be able to produce uh, work, and and we also were just a little concerned that um, we maybe weren't getting the full breadth of creativity that we needed. And as data and analytics came in, we realized we could do more. So we changed the model. And we still enabled us to, as Jim was saying, work with core partners, but then work with other partners on a more flexible basis. We've essentially had a, had a, a role with agencies where you stayed with one agency forever. And moving from an agency was a, was a monumental change. We needed to give ourselves more flexibility, and that allowed us to be able to not only save money, but also improve the creativity. It's a pretty big change, and it's changing, it's changing the industry pretty substantially. Um, but they were, just, they were just good business decisions and, um, and to move forward. Hi, um, my name is Xiaoyu Kao, a typical Chinese name. So I want to ask you comment uh, some PNG products on Chinese market and then what is the future direction of PNG products in China? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. China is our number two market in the world and one of our fastest growing markets. We got into the business about 30 years ago. It, if you want to see the future, go to China. It is changing exponentially. Uh, 80% of our media spending in China is through some digital form, which is a complete flip from five years ago. 80% uh, of that is bought what we call programmatically, automatically through algorithms and data. We connect with Alibaba, um, Jingdong, uh, WeChat, uh, Little Red Book, all these, all these uh, systems, these social media and e-commerce um, uh, providers that have again just transformed our business. Uh, I would say a lot of the work we're doing on creative partnerships were pioneered in China. SK2 has done some of the most magnificent work. Olay has done magnificent work there. So it's, um, and then we're designing essentially our products for China. We, 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 because the requirements are such that we need to make sure that we're meeting the needs of the China consumer. Um, but it's, it's a pretty extraordinary world. There, and uh, I think China's gonna, China's gonna, gonna do a lot here in the world. So we better get cranking. Hi, my name is Benjamin Plotkin. Um, I'm a first year business on this side major here at the University of Cincinnati, 
And earlier you mentioned how in order to contribute to the longevity of your career, you would fire yourself every 18 months. Can you please expand on what you meant by that? I basically start over. I would, I would, I would just mentally cleanse and imagine that um, uh, I fired myself and then I walked in the room and I asked my, asked my boss if I could work again and start over. And the reason why I say that is because when you start a new job, you're not encumbered by the past. So it allows you to take a look at everything fresh. And therefore, you're not too wedded to what you did in the past or what others did in the past. You just take a look, a fresh, objective look at it. And that allows you then to be able to see things as they are as opposed to how you'd like them to be. And what that does is allows you to make better decisions and come up with better ideas. So that's the idea behind that. It's just... Because and you need to do that because the world changes pretty dramatically and and we're we're all human beings so we fall in love with our own solutions so what we need to do is kind of see what are the problems today and fall in love with those problems and then figure out how am I going to solve that problem today not necessarily based on the solution I had in the past but based on what's necessary for today. Hello, my name is Maddie Rinaldi. I'm studying marketing and economics. And my question is that there's a phrase a lot of people say that fashion is cyclical or trends are cyclical. My parents laughed that I want to wear their clothes from the 80s. So um, my question for you would be, do you notice any trends within working with major brands throughout your career in branding that have been cyclical or have always existed? I know right now a major trend is that um, brands for good or as you were explaining, or everything being a lifestyle brand, especially with consumers in my age group. So is this something that you think has always existed that is new, or is it ever enough to just sell a really good product? Or does a brand always have to stand for something um, beyond that? And what trends do you see going forward in the future? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question, because there are what, what, um, what I would say would be some immutable laws of brand building, kind of like gravity. They're, they're just not going to change. And, 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 and Jim knows this. We have this thing called a brand building framework. It's called the who, what, how framework. Who's your consumer? What does your brand stand for? It? How are you going to bring that brand to life um, when, they, when they search for it, purchase it, and then use it, which basically leads to these five elements of superiority, superior product, package, communication, retail, and value. And, and our business model, at least, is you need to have irresistible superiority. In other words, a product and package and brand so good that people really don't want to live without that. They want to use that brand. Those don't change. The, 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 the what you need to do doesn't change. How changes constantly because the context changes, culture changes, the digital the technology associated with how you communicate with people change. So when, when I started, you could create an ad and a campaign that would last for five years, like Don't Squeeze the Charmin, like If It's Gotta Be Clean, It's Gotta Be Tied, which is still around, by the way. And you could do three commercials <clears throat> a year, put it on TV, on the three channels that existed, and basically, you were good. You were, that, that was it. Well, those days are gone. Now that's, it's a constant flow of content that needs to be done. So that's changed. People now expect brands to communicate. That's the one major change, I would say, the big trend. 
is people want to know more about what, who's behind the brand. What does the brand stand for? What does it care about? They're no longer just okay with, uh, you have a superior product. It's necessary, absolutely necessary, but they want to know more. They want to know, what do you believe in? Do you care about the environment? Do you care about gender equality? Do you care about racial equality? When you do that, then they start, they're, they're buying on the basis of values as a, as, and beliefs as well as a superior product. That trend, I think, will continue to grow. So I get the last, the last question. Mark, you strive to be useful every day mm -hmm. for people. So I'd like you to wrap this up with something useful for these students as they embark upon their major, their career, their happy, productive, and successful life. Mm. Well, I would advise you to be useful by focusing on being useful. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're in a major learning mode now. And, and the one thing to do is that, that is useful. And it's not only useful to you, but it will be useful to the rest of the world. So now is the time to just bring it all in and absorb it. Much of, much of it will be, will be knowledge that you won't exactly know what to do with it, but you'll realize later how it, ma how it matters. Then think about all when you go forward, what is it that you want to do to be the most useful? What is, what is something that you're truly passionate about? I, I really believe that when you're truly passionate about something, you really love what you're doing, you love the people you're working with, that you will give your, your whole self to it. And that'll be important as you make your decision. So think about how much work, how much good you can do in the world. The exponential power of every individual in this room is enormous. And you really are the future. As, as I told you about that, that spiritual leader who said 20 years ago, business will be the greatest force for good in the future. You're gonna be in business. Business is, is now becoming the greatest force for good in the future. 10 years from now, it will be the force for good. And you will be right there in the middle of it. So um, think about how you can make that happen. Mark, a beautiful interview. As I said, first time we've been on stage since I left the company 11 years ago. And I just found it very inspiring and extremely hopeful for P&G and for business at large. So thank you for your inspiration. Thank you. Let's give Mark a Bearcat right. thank, thank you, you for yeah. being with us on this beautiful afternoon. That was my conversation with Mark Pritchard. What I loved about this one, and I loved a lot about it, was how Mark really talked about brands being a force for good and all P&G is doing to lead the industry in that area. And I also loved how he spoke so poignantly about people who've had an impact on him, his development, and his career. And I want to really thank the University of Cincinnati for hosting us for this remarkable discussion. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.